Delighted to have each of you and excited and really encouraged, challenged, blessed by my time in God's Word this week and just meditating upon resurrection truths. And I'm really excited to be able to share some of those truths with you this morning. And so will you please take your Bible and turn with me to John chapter 20. And if you're here visiting and you don't have a Bible, just be aware that there are some provided for you uh, under the seat in front of you. And you're welcome to, uh, to use those and even keep a copy for yourself if, if um, that would be of help to you. On this Easter Sunday, I want to provide from God's Word a message of hope about matters of death and life. Not life and death as if death has final say, but death and life to emphasize that life prevails through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lately, we've been considering the death of Christ, looking closely at the cross and its many implications. And one key tenet of the Christian faith is that the cross did not defeat Jesus, but rather brought about His absolute victory. A victory sealed when He rose from the dead. A victory we share in today. A victory we've sung already this morning. However, the truth of resurrection triumph is sometimes hard to grasp. Isn't it? Even the resurrection itself, as we will see this morning, even the resurrection itself was at first marked by deep sorrow and filled with many tears. There we learn of a woman named Mary, confused and despairing, while the men who followed Jesus were likewise confused and fearful. In fact, as John chapter 20 unfolds, we find Mary weeping, the disciples hiding, and Thomas doubting. Not exactly a picture of triumph. And yet I take comfort in this, I really do. And you should too. It's no accident that the first followers of Jesus are portrayed in these ways that his first appearances were to a weeping woman, to fearful men, and to a doubting disciple. Though, though we might have expected that day to be nothing but celebratory, I'm actually encouraged by the way it actually happened. Because sometimes we weep. Sometimes we hide. Sometimes we doubt. Sometimes it's hard to grab on to victory when in the throes of apparent defeat. 
And maybe that's you this morning. And I want to encourage you to take heart. Because the resurrection itself reveals how the risen Christ meets us in our many places of need to, re- to renew and assure our hope in God. The resurrection of Christ reveals how the risen Christ meets us in our many places of need to renew and assure our hope in God. And so let's consider together the, this post-resurrection account, uh, encounter between Jesus and Mary as it is recorded in John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Now on the first day of the week, Mary... Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen claws lying there, but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen claws lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen claws, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he, Jesus, must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but did not know. She did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to the Father to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you. Oh my goodness, we thank you. We have so much for which to be thankful. 
We thank you for today. And perhaps today, like unlike any other day, we thank you for the gift of your Son, our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. You are so good, God. And you have been extremely good to us. And you are so faithful to your people and to your plan. From before the foundations of the world, knowing that we would turn from you in disobedience, even from the very beginning, you made a plan. A plan made in love to redeem and rescue your people from sin and despair and from death itself. And through the years, through the ages, you have worked your plan to perfection. You have made promise after promise along the way, reminding us and assuring us that you are God and you are good and you know what you're doing and you're working all things to the good. And then in the birth and life and death of Jesus Christ, you proved it. And in the resurrection of Christ, you sealed and guaranteed it. We thank you for His victory and for the fact that His victory is our victory. That all who are in Jesus have life in His name. Today, tomorrow and on into eternity. Thank you for your word that speaks these truths to us and impresses them upon us. Will you speak and impress upon our hearts still today, even now? On this Resurrection Sunday, that we might find the comfort and courage we so need and in the, the triumph and joy to go forth with purpose. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first part of this passage, verses 1 through 10, deals mainly with how the disciples Peter and John responded to the empty tomb. Learning from Mary that Jesus was not there, they both ran to the tomb to see for themselves. This is the first we've seen of Peter since his tragic denial of Christ in the courtyard of the high priest some three days prior. One can only imagine what Peter was thinking during that span. Especially as John, who was present at the crucifixion, recounted the grisly details of Christ's death. Guilt and shame and, and a deep sense of regret were no doubt plaguing Peter. It's no wonder he was running. But John was faster, apparently, and reached the tomb first. Peter entered the tomb first, however, and then John. Both saw the burial clause in which Jesus had been bound according to the custom of the day, but there was no Jesus. Only the clause themselves. And then it clicked, at least for John. 
Upon seeing the clause by themselves, he understood what the Scripture had been saying all along, that Jesus must rise from the dead. Despite the many times Jesus talked about this, they just didn't get it. If you've ever felt slow to see what seems so obvious to others, take heart. Even those closest to Christ didn't understand at first. And now John did, at least more than he did previously. John believed, we're told. And he and Peter went back to their homes, leaving Mary by the tomb by herself. It might surprise us to learn that the first person to see the risen Christ was Mary Magdalene. We may have assumed Peter or John, given their role in relation to Christ, but Mary, this Mary, not even Mary his mother, but this Mary, this Mary was the first. She appears in all four Gospels, present both at Christ's crucifixion and His resurrection. And aside from this, she's mentioned just once more in Luke chapter 8, verse 1. We learn of her initial encounter with Jesus and how He miraculously freed her from demonic possession. That was then. And this is now. And upon observing her now, we see how her sincere devotion to Christ was met by deep, deep despair. Oh, how she loved Jesus. How she loved Him. Not romantically, of course. Hers was a love like that of a faithful friend. The most faithful of friends. She stuck by Him. Even through his greatest trial, others fled, she stayed. Others hid in fear, she ministered in love, but she's confused and anxious. She's all alone when her already fragile state shatters completely. She's weeping, literally, it means she's wailing, she's sobbing, she's bawling. As with Peter and John, apparently the promise of Christ's resurrection was nowhere on her radar either. Verses 11 through 13 describe the scene. Gathering her strength as best she could, she stoops to peer into the tomb and sees two angels sitting where the body of Jesus had once been. Her pain is obvious to them. Why are you weeping, they ask, to which she replies, they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. And I want you to see how personal this was for Mary. To Mary, Jesus was not merely a Lord or even the Lord. He was her Lord. The personal pronouns are significant. His body in those moments meant the world to her. She wanted to see Him one last time. Maybe to thank Him one last time or kneel beside Him and even embrace Him one last time. Though He was dead as far as she knew, this was the body in which He had lived. His were the hands that touched and blessed. His feet were were those that went to, to to those whom others avoided. His mouth from his mouth came words unlike any other. Words of 
promise and power and possibility. I suspect Mary simply wanted to say goodbye in her way. Even as we do when losing a loved one. Deeply devoted to Jesus, she sought to prepare his body for burial. And now even his body was gone. She wept because things hadn't gone as she wanted or expected. Her Lord had suffered a terrible death and she was witness to it. And though she went as soon as she could, early in the morning while it was still dark, to arrive at the tomb and discover the body missing was a crushing blow. As if she hadn't been through enough already, this was the proverbial straw that broke the back of her emotional well-being. And so she wept. She sobbed. She convulsed in grief. It was just more than she could handle. I recently turned 45 years old. A really great age. And for me, especially lately, for me, life is heading in an upward trajectory. Honestly, I've shared this so many times. In the big picture, I have not a complaint in the world. In the big picture. Life gets better. It's getting better and more purposeful each year. Not easier. Not easier. Life's trials and troubles are as real for me as they are for us all. They don't always come in the same way. I feel, though I feel young at heart, I'm learning that the body doesn't react as it did 10 or 20 years ago or even a few years ago, just, just last week, I actually pulled a muscle by coughing. <laughs> That's never happened before. <laughs> and it still hurts. Nonetheless, life is good, and I'm learning, I'm learning, I'm learning how to receive it for the gift it is. Nonetheless, in my lifetime alone, since 1972, we collectively, as a people, have suffered many hurts, and wept many tears. We've endured the Vietnam War, the Gulf War, the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, and the ongoing war on terrorism, not to mention the many other wars fought by other warring nations. The loss of life is staggering. We've feared nuclear weapons in the hands of hostile regimes, ISIS attacks at home and abroad, And we've witnessed the slow disintegration of family amidst continual assault. 
In my lifetime alone, we hear more news of poverty, perversion, and persecution than ever before. HIV AIDS has taken over 35 million victims worldwide, while other epidemics continually lay claim to their own casualties. Earthquakes, tsunamis, hurricanes, and other natural disasters have brought death and destruction in great proportions in my lifetime alone. We have grown anxious over Y2K, remember that? And speechless over 9-11. Sadly, schools like Columbine and Sandy Hook and more recently North Park Elementary are terribly etched into our memories and random shootings seem all too frequent. Time and again, senseless evil has reared its ugly head. To put it mildly, we live in a sin-ravaged, tear-soaked world. In a word, despair. We have all been in Mary's shoes at one time or another. How often have we wept outside the tomb of disappearing dreams and dead expectations. Certainly we have felt the crushing blow of the unexpected, of things not going as we imagined. And like Mary, but in a different sense, I imagine that you too have searched for God in times of grief only to find that He's not where you were hoping He'd be. Because we can relate with Mary, I want you to see how Jesus met her in her need. Not apart from it. He met her in her need, not apart from it. I want you to know this despair-reversing, hope-renewing, life-imparting transformation that comes when meeting the risen Christ. So deeply distraught, Mary is searching for answers. Not even the angels could console her. In verse 14, she turns to see Jesus, not knowing it was Jesus, and He proceeds to care for her and call her and even commission her for ministry. He cared for her. Please hear this. He cared for her by confronting her unmet expectations. Why are you weeping? He asked. The question is not intended to dismiss her hurt, but redirect it. To expose it for what it truly is and to see it in light of His resurrection. You know, in this world, you will have trouble. Jesus once cautioned His disciples, but take heart. I've overcome the world, he said. How? How has Jesus overcome the tribulation of this world? Was it through the cross? Not really. On the cross, Jesus experienced tribulation in full force. Sin and death in full. No, no, no. Jesus overcame the world and the tribulations of the world through his resurrection. The resurrection assures that in a world of deep despair, we can find hope eternal, that a new day has dawned. You know, not long ago, it's around Christmas, my son asked me a very good question. 
I was tucking him into bed. And he wanted to know which was most important. The birth of of Jesus, the death of Jesus, or the resurrection of Jesus. I was not expecting this question. (laughs) From a six-year-old especially. And so I gathered my thoughts. And as best I could, I said, talked about each of these, and I said they are equally important. Christ's birth means that God has willingly entered our sin-ridden world. That's a big deal. Christ's death means that God has lovingly dealt with sin by suffering with us and for us. That's a big deal. And Christ's resurrection means that God has triumphantly provided the assurance of new life. Bellowing out from the empty tomb comes the voice of hope that triumphs over a world broken by sin and its terrible effects. God has entered our world, lived among us, died for us, and rose again to secure a hope-filled future. That's a big deal. Loved ones, God is making all things new. A new day has dawned and another will dawn. For the Christian, there will be no more mourning, no more tears, no more weeping, no more pain or death, no more sin, no more suffering, its devastating effects. The Christian will dwell with God and God with them. And the hope of that day brings hope to our day and the resurrection of Jesus Christ guarantees it. He is God's guarantee that this world as we now know it is not all there is to know. Isn't it ironic that Mary weeps over the empty tomb when in fact it's the very thing that secures her truest joy? She's looking at life and the circumstances of that moment from a human perspective only instead of seeing in light of the divine reality. She's thinking more about what she's lost temporarily than what she's gained for all eternity. She's drowning in a sea of worry even as Jesus stands before her. Though he is right there with her, she doesn't recognize him makes me wonder about the many, many, many times we lose sight of Jesus simply because we're fixated on our own expectations. Whom are you seeking? He asks her. It's a question of desire. We seek what we desire, right? Seeking implies the possibility of more, of better. We all want better. 
So the question applies to young people and middle-aged people and older people, to people from all backgrounds and all circumstances, including every single person in this room. The question calls us to honestly identify what it is we desire in life and why. Worldly treasures? A carefree existence? Maybe a God you can control? Face it, we we like control. One of the biggest mistakes made in our understanding of God is that we try to eliminate all uncertainty. And yet here in this exchange, Christ was caring for Mary by confronting her uncertainties. Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? He knew the answers already, but he wanted her to voice them, to say it out loud. Sometimes we need to do that. You know that? Sometimes we just need to say it out loud. There's something about the process of thinking, then speaking, then hearing yourself speak that brings perspective. That's why we talk about thinking out loud. That's why we have people in our lives or we need people in our lives to serve as sounding boards. Jesus wanted her to articulate her distresses and her desires so that she would come to surrender control to him who is in control. Christ was caring for her by calling her to himself. Mary. Mary, he said, to which she replied, Rabboni. The word means teacher. It could also mean master or Lord. He called her by name, and in that moment, she saw him for who he is. You know, in John chapter 10, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd, saying in verse 3 of that chapter, the good shepherd calls his own sheep by name and leads them. In verse 4 of that chapter, he says that he goes before them and they follow, for they know his voice. In verses 14 and 15 of that chapter, he says, I know my own and my own know me. And then in verse 23 of that same chapter, he says, I give them eternal life and they will never, never perish. And that's what's happening here between Jesus and Mary. The risen Lord calls her by name and her entire state changes. You see that? Her entire state changes. That's what it is to be a Christian. To be called by Christ and transformed by the call. To be called by Christ and transformed by the call, made new while being renewed as we learn how to walk in newness of life. God speaks into the hearts of men and women calling his own and committing himself to them. You know, we know the voice of those dearest to us, don't we? I mean, I can be in full conversation with my wife, and yet she can hear even the faintest 
whimper from one of our kids from five blocks away. <laughs> Doesn't matter if there's road construction or earth moving equipment or a jumbo jet overhead or a parade marching down the street. She knows their voice and they know hers, though sometimes they choose to ignore it to their great peril. (laughs) When Jesus calls your name, there is no denying it. And so I just want to ask you, Do you hear his call this morning? And I actually, I would love to just pause and give you time to listen. Maybe like Mary, you're feeling the weight of despair. Maybe you're facing uncertainty and unmet expectations and anxieties of many kinds. And through your deep, deep, deep disappointment rings the call of Jesus. Will you turn to face him? As Mary did. And find in him the comfort you so desperately need. Will you, will you acknowledge him as Lord? Like Mary did. As your Lord. And discover grace and peace and hope that anchors you to the promises of God. And then finally in verse 17 we find Christ's commission of Mary... Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. And it's somewhat of a strange statement, isn't it? So comforted, so delighted in Jesus was Mary that she apparently took hold of him and wouldn't let him go. I mean, that, he, that she clung to him is such a fantastic visual that impresses upon us the wonder and joy of relationship with Christ, but not until He ascended to the Father and sent the Holy Spirit would Mary know the fullness of this new relationship. Jesus isn't merely saying that He will ascend, but that when He ascends, the benefits of His resurrection will reach even new heights. Maybe she clung to Him for fear of losing Him again. But he basically said to her, and now to us all, trust me, Mary. Trust that I know what I'm doing. Trust that though there are things that you don't yet understand, you can always trust me no matter what. Trust me to see you through. Trust me today and with all of your tomorrows. He's saying, Mary, you cannot cling to me now, not yet, but you will. 
Once I ascend and the Spirit comes, you will take hold of me and I of you as never before. Ours will be a relationship in the Spirit, not the flesh, spiritual, not physical, so that wherever you are and in whatever you're facing, I will be there with you. And not only you, Mary, but all who hear my call and trust in my care. You know, how awesome to know that Christ our Lord is presently and personally caring for all Christian believers all over the world at one and the same time. Every single person who trusts in the Lord can be assured that Jesus Christ is with them. Those in Christ can cling to Christ, knowing that He clings to them as well. And I find this so encouraging and so necessary as we navigate life through this troubled world. Go, He commissions. Go, go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And He's introducing a whole new relationship. One that we share with God and with each other. And he essentially commissions Mary to share this good news. That we are not merely disciples of Christ, but, hear this, beloved brothers and sisters to Christ. And in Christ. Wow. He identifies with us and actually invites us into the family of God. He is God the Son and the Son of God and as siblings to Christ, He's saying that God is our Father just as He is His. That's a big deal. What makes this more striking is that When we last saw his disciples, the very same people to whom Mary is now sent, they forsook him. And so Christ so loves his own that even when we are faithless, he is faithful still. So with newfound joy, Mary went and announced, I have seen the Lord. And and he had said these things to her. And this is the essence of our witness today. We're the people who have seen the Lord, maybe not with physical eyes, at least not yet, but but surely with the eyes of our hearts, which is better by far because the point that should not be missed is that that which so dramatically moved Mary from a despairing mourner to a delighted missionary was not a Christianity of beautiful ideals, but the beauty of Christ himself. There's a big difference. It was not sweet sentiment, but a strong and risen Savior. And in the same way, that which moves us from our despair is this strong and risen Savior who cares for us and calls us and even commissions us for ministry. And so in conclusion, at at a time when you 
might have expected everything to be celebratory, I'm actually encouraged by the way it actually happened. And I want to encourage you to reflect on these things and respond to Jesus personally as Mary did. We're going to hear a song of reflection here in just a moment before we close in song together. And I just want you to take this opportunity to consider the things that make you weep. Seriously. To consider the things that make you weep and what it is you're seeking in life. And above all, to consider Him who is there to meet you in your many places of need, to renew and assure your hope in God. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Father, we thank You for Your for your word and how it speaks into the sad places of our lives. Really, the reality of our lives. We understand that, like Mary, life is not always celebratory. Even at these monumental events, we celebrate now. In the actual moment, there was great sadness and confusion and anxiety and uncertainty and worry and unmet expectations. So thank you for just exposing your word to us and exposing us to your word. And will you impress it upon our lives and send us forth with newfound faith and joy and purpose In Jesus Christ, amen.